Thank you for downloading Hebron, Oklahoma's podcast. You can find out more about us on our website at hebronok.org. Now, here is our latest episode from the sermon series based on the Acts of the Apostles. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him going to heaven. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Praise the Lord. I hope all of you are doing well at home and that you are uh, staying strong in the Lord. Uh, first, I want to take this opportunity from the youth and the uh, young adults to welcome Zach and Jessica to Hebron Youth and Young Adult uh, Services and uh, um, hope we are a blessing to each other and let us build, build together in community for the Lord. Um, today's message will again be going back to the book of Acts chapter 5. Um, as I start, let me say it's not an exaggeration to say that we live in unprecedented times. We have a global pandemic, political and civil unrest, and one of the common things that we've been hearing about is cancel culture. When, um, when uh, many of the things, what is that you might ask? Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says canceling or cancel culture has to do with removing support for people or public figures in response to their objectionable behavior or opinions. And this can include boycotts or refusal to promote their work. So with the advent of social media, cancel culture has become increasingly more prevalent. And uh, as an immediate reaction, people will put out their feelings and uh, there will be an outcry and threats to swiftly remove that person from their job, from whatever they're doing. So we might think that this is uh, something that might be good, maybe, if, it's, uh, if they stand for something bad, or it could also work the other way. And we might also think that this is something that did not happen in the uh, first century church or even in the Old Testament. So if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see Daniel who refused to bow down, and he was put into the lion's den. Or we see Shandrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had to go through the fiery furnace because of standing up for what they believed in. Here we see that same kind of thing in the first century church as well. And so let us uh, go to chapter 5, and uh, I'll be reading quite a bit of a portion today. And uh, I will stop and... Um, We'll focus on a few verses in our sermon today, verse 20, verse 29, and verse 32. But we'll start with Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We know for the last few weeks we've been talking about Ananias and Sapphira and how the Lord um, um, worked in the midst of them. Last time, Justin spoke and talked about the fear or the awe that was among the people uh, the church and many people had been joining the church. So let's start with that. The apostles performed many signs and wonders and miracles among the people, and the believers were wonderfully united as they met regularly in the temple courts. Um, 
and uh, which is Solomon's porch. No one dared any harm um, for them, for everyone held them in high regard. Continually, more and more, people believed in the Lord and uh, were joined to the church. And we see uh, that great crowds of both men and women joined the church. In fact, when people knew Peter was going to walk by, they carried out the sick, to the sick among them to the streets and laid them down on their cots and mats, knowing the incredible power emanating from him that would overshadow them and heal them. Great number of people swarmed into Jerusalem for the nearby villages. They brought them the sick and those troubled by demons, and everyone was healed. This was a great time for the church, and we see that there were many miracles and wonders taking place. Even people were healed by the shadow of the apostles during that time. And uh, we see um, something else happen whenever there's a, a great thing happening for the Lord. We see persecution that starts from verse 17 onwards. It talks about the persecution that take place that took place for the apostles. The Sadducees, it says, got jealous and decided to punish and threaten the apostle by Bob Rule. The, the uh, Sadducees or the Sanhedrin wanted to cancel what God was doing. And let's see what happens. The high priest and his officials who formed the party of the Sadducees came, became extremely jealous over all that was happening. So they had the apostles arrested and placed in chains and thrown in jail. But during the night, the Lord sent an angel who appeared before them, and they supernaturally opened the prison doors and brought the apostles out. So we see a jailbreak there, and supernaturally, without anyone knowing, they were able to transpose themselves out of the jail. I don't know how that happened, but God can do that. But the angel told them in verse 20 something very specific. Go, the angel told them, stand in the temple courts and preach the word that brings life. Go, the angel told them, stand in the temple courts and preach the word that brings life. So the angel didn't uh, rescue them and say, go hide, go uh, do whatever you um, want to do. Or, but he gave them very specific instructions that said, stand again, go and stand again in the temple courts and preach the word that brings life. So early that morning, they entered the temple courts and taught the people the high priest and his officials were unaware of this supernatural release from the prison, convened the members of the Supreme Council, and they sent for the apostles to be bought from the prison. But when the officers came to the prison cell, it was empty. They returned to the council and informed them, we found the jail was securely locked and the guards standing by their cells, but we opened the door and no one was inside. And the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this report and they were perplexed and at a loss for what to make of it. Someone came and informed them that the men you, uh, that you put in prison are out there in the temple courts and, and teaching the people. So the captain of the temple guard and his officers went to arrest them once again, but without using force, for they were afraid that the people would stone them. When they brought them before the council, the high priest demanded an explanation saying, didn't we strictly tell you or warn you that you should never again teach in his name? But instead, you have now filled all of Jerusalem with this doctrine and, have, and are committed to holding us responsible for this man's death. Another version of verse 28 says, you want to bring his blood upon us. You want to make us feel guilty. I th find it kind of ironic that they said, crucify him, crucify him. 
let his blood be upon us and our children. And now they're saying that you're trying to put his blood upon us. Verse 29 onwards to 32. Peter and the apostle replied, and we'll focus on this verse. We must listen to and obey God more than pleasing man or religious leaders. You had Jesus arrested and killed by crucifixion, but the God of our forefathers have raised him. He is the one God has exalted and seated at the right hand of our Savior, as our Savior and, and champion. He is the provider of grace as a redeemer of Israel. We are witnesses, verse 32 again, we are witnesses of these things, so as is the Holy Spirit who God freely gives to all who believe in him. So I know that was a long portion to read. Let me summarize it a little bit. As I said, the church was thriving and many people were being added to the church and after having this period of great success and thriving, guess what the enemy tries to do? He tries to bring persecution. The Lord has never promised that we will always have a bed of roses or everything go our way. In fact, being a child of God will mean that you will have persecution as we'll see. The Lord Jesus says that and Paul also says that if you are truly a child of God, you will have persecution. And so... Um, even in the midst of their persecution, though, we see something, a great thing that comes forward, which is that the Lord Jesus was, uh, the Lord was with them. God was with them. And he, and he noticed that they were suffering, and he sent his angels to break them out of jail, having them miraculously transposed out of the prison. I don't know how that happened, if the, if the guards fell asleep, or he had them go through the wall, or what exactly, but that is what is recorded, that they got out of prison and no one, not a soul knew about it. And then they were told one, some, some very specific things by the angel. The angel told them, go and continue to preach and teach the people about this life or this life that you know about. And we'll focus on that uh, for the first part. Um, what, what do they mean by this life? Or the question that comes up is, how did the disciples have the, the um, courage, the boldness to go back and preach and take a risk? If it was us, what would we do? Uh, would we go back and uh, hide out or would we go back and preach? And if we are to go back and preach, even though we are undergoing persecution, we have to learn some things from the disciples, the apostles, the first century Christians. Um, they boldly said, we must obey God rather than men. And uh, we all know that they were sitting at the feet of Jesus for three and a half years and learned from the, the best uh, teacher. And so they were dwelling in the presence of the Lord Jesus for three and a half years. That's something we've talked about before. They waited as was told and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were empowered. That was another reason for their boldness. But in this portion, I'd like to point out three things uh, that will show their boldness. And here it says, go and uh, the angel specifically said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, what do we mean by this life? The English word for this is Zoe. We get the English name Zoe out of that. And the Ukrainian for that is Zoya, uh, our uh, sister in the church, Zoya, which means life. And so this, all, all these words come from the Greek word, which means zahi, which means to live indeed. And it is not just mentioned in this portion, but 36 times in the New Testament, both John and Paul uses it to really talk about life and truly life, the life that is life indeed. 
See, there is a life that is set apart from the world. If your life is all about this world and the current world situations in your life, then you cannot have a taste of this life. You need uh, to know that this life is just a foretaste of the glory divine that is coming. If you want life that is truly life or life that is life indeed, you need to know certain things. And I, I made this. We need to know that we are filled with a life of love. As we uh, learned yesterday also at the wedding and as we heard earlier, we are filled with the love um, uh, of fellow brothers. We are filled with the love uh, of others that we are filled with. The second is a life of intimacy with Christ. Knowing that we are in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus and that he would take care of us. I, I don't know how many of you paid attention to the words of the Malayalam songs we were singing. Uh, that he would take care of us. That he would be the one that would take care of our every need. The third is a life of freedom, joy, and peace. So uh, the Lord has given them a life of freedom, joy, and peace. And the disciples knew that. They also knew they had a life that was not going to end on this earth, that their eternal life was secure in the Lord Jesus. And so we don't have to be afraid of those who can kill the body, they knew. They can't touch this life, which is the life that they would truly have in heaven. And how many of us think that way? And if we think that way, would we have more boldness to stand for the Lord Jesus? So uh, here the disciples... Um, Peter was very timid, as we see in the beginning of Acts, uh, or at the end of the, uh, uh, end of the Gospels. And the, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they had the assurance that their life was secure in the Lord Jesus, that they had life indeed, they were able to be bold for the Lord Jesus. Amen? So, um, a life of love, intimacy, freedom, and eternal life, or Zoe, uh, is one way to remember it, is something that we can achieve. But the only way to achieve that is to be born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit, and believing in the Lord Jesus as your personal savior and having an intimate walk and a relationship with him. So are you about living this life, uh, this life on earth, or are you about living the life that truly means something, which is eternal life? And that's the first uh, verse that I wanted to bring to your attention Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, or Zoe, uh, which means that there is true life in the Lord Jesus. Then we go on to verse 29. We see that uh, they, were, um, they went back and started preaching at Solomon's colonnade. And then again, the, the uh, chief priest um, and the Supreme Court, basically. If you, if you look at the United States, there's a Supreme Court, which is the highest authority. So the people here were brought in front of the Sanhedrin which is the Sadducees and the chief priests, basically equivalent to the Supreme Court now. So if the Supreme Court of this nation brought you in front of them and said, uh, you should not do this, there is a clear difference there. There's civil law. There's civil law that says that uh, the rules of the nation are such. But that there's also moral law or spiritual law. And when the spiritual law coincides with the civil law, then it's not anything to talk about, right? We obey what the Lord wants us to do, which is the same as the civil law or the law of the land. But when the civil law disagrees with the spiritual law or moral law, what are we to do? We see that as examples, as I mentioned, in Daniel uh, in the Old Testament or Shandrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. We see that again here 
as a decision that's facing the first century church. And Apostle Peter, as the voice of all the apostles, is saying, we must obey God rather than men. We, living in this culture, and uh, as you see all the things that are going around us, you see that uh, America has freedom, but we don't know when that all freedom will be taken away. And we might be facing the very same situation that our fellow brothers and sisters are dealing with all around the world, where they are being um, executed, they're being persecuted, and a knife is placed to their neck, and they're said, will you renounce the Lord Jesus? And if we have to face such a situation, what will we say? We must obey God rather than men, is what Apostle Peter said. What boldness. How did he get that boldness? He was not worried about being canceled by the, um, by the religious elite or the supreme court of the land. Um, he knew what he stood for. He knew the truth in the word. He knew who his master was, that he knew he had a life that was truly life. And so he could stand up against uh, this. See, in this classic Christian book called Christ and Culture, it talks about many ways that we as Christians can deal with uh, Christ and culture. One of the, there's five different ways we can deal with it. One of the ways that's mentioned is we retreat and have no engagement with this fallen world. And that's not what the Lord said, that we are to be the salt and light. So we can, cult, we can go against, uh, or we can hide out, we can build our own trenches and say that we're Christ, at, we're, as Christians, we're against this culture, and we say that we're retreating from everything, and we're not, we won't have any part in the world. But that's not what the Word of God says, right? The complete opposite of that is the Christ of culture to say that I'll adopt every shifting cultural norms of the day and we'll change our minds whenever uh, some, the politician says is right or we'll do what, what the government says rather than what is in the true word of God. And that's also wrong. So the two extremes, I don't think there's anybody who would argue those are wrong. But there is uh, some other ones that are kind of uh, in there that many of us fall into and it's a time for us to examine ourselves how how do we do in this a Christ above culture sometimes we compartmentalize our life where on Sunday we come to church but Monday through Saturday we live our jobs we we are in the real world and so we compartmentalize it to the point where we have our clear biblical beliefs but they only last on Sunday and then there's another one that says Christ and culture and paradox that approaches engaging culture but only in the context of evangelization and does not seek to transform the culture. And then there's a last one that says a Christ transforming culture which approaches this as to change the mind, the lives of society so that um, we can change the culture and be the true salt and light in society. Such an initiative will, though, lead us to face hard criticism and censure. People will say that we are heretics, or they, they might say that we are um, not being kind. Um, and so uh, you have to examine that against the Word of God. And I'm not advocating for anyone saying that whatever is not in the Word of God is, uh, is something that you follow. But if something that is the civil law fits with the Word of God then what will you do? But when the civil law does not fit with the spiritual law or moral law, what are we to do? Here, the disciples or the apostles are faced with this tough decision. 
are they going to cave in or are they going to stand for what they believe in? Are they going to stand for who spent three and a half years with them and taught them everything? After the Holy Spirit had come upon them, they knew what they stood for and they, need, they knew that their life on earth was just temporary. So they stood for the living truth. Jesus was very blunt in telling us if the world, in, Luke chapter, uh, in John chapter 15, verse 18 to 19, Jesus was very blunt in saying, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if the world loves you or you love the world, you have to examine yourselves to see, am I really following the, the truth that Jesus is teaching here? Paul further adds on by saying in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, and 13, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So if we are following the cultural norms of society, we, are we being deceived or are we deceiving others? Or are we truly standing out and doing what the Lord asked us to do, uh, which is to stand counterculturally and stand for the word and the truth. Francis Chan said, something is wrong when our life makes sense to unbelievers. If you and the devil are not opposing each other, you're probably going in the same direction as the devil. So it is time that we examine ourselves according to this verse, verse 29. And when we are faced in a situation where are the civil law and the spiritual and moral law does not agree, do we have the guts, do we have the boldness to say, I will stand for the word of God, that I will say that what God said is more important to me than what people said. And there's many verses that we can go into how uh, pleasing people is a trap, right? And then the last one that i like to point out to you is verse 32. You know, that's the, uh, the main theme uh, slide that we normally put up for this, which says we are witnesses. We are witnesses. You know, what does the word witness mean? You might think of it in common terms. You might think of it as an eyewitness, someone who saw or heard what exactly happened. And that's why the apostles are called the apostles because they were true eyewitnesses to what Jesus did. They've heard or seen what Jesus did. And so uh, when you go back to the Greek word, the origin of that word, it is, it is martuse which is a Greek word that is translated for this word witness. And from that, we get the English word martyr. Martyr, indicating that we're willing to die for this faith. That is what Peter and Paul, uh, Peter and Paul in the, later in the book, and also all the first century apostles were saying when they said, we are witnesses. It's not just saying we're going to um, speak about what we say, but if getting... If speaking the truth is going to get us a death sentence, we're okay with that. And that's where we get the word martyr, indicating that they're willing to die for their faith. It's probably a, a tough situation, and I've never personally been in that situation. So uh, I'm speaking to myself by saying this as well. And uh, are we willing to be true witnesses, which could mean the word martyr for the Lord Jesus that's a question. So three questions have come up. What is our life like? Are we living for this life, the temporary life on earth? Or are we living 
with an eternal perspective, knowing that this life, as Joe showed, uh, or we saw an, an illustration, just a small part of the thread is this life. But we have millions of years with the Lord Jesus in heaven. But if you're living for this small part of your life on earth, then you might miss out on eternity. And let us examine our lives. Second thing to examine our lives is, are we obeying God rather than men? Especially when it comes to things that is against the word of God. When the word of God says something different than what is the law of the land, how are we behaving? And thirdly, are we willing to be a witness, a true martyr for Christ? I think I already mentioned Francis Chan and what he said. So the question is, as the worship team is coming up, what will we believe? What will we believe? I wanted to uh, close by reading this song that you hear on the radio. Torrin Wells featuring Jen Johnson. Famous for, I believe. It's, it goes like this. Make way through the waters. Make way through the fire. Do what you're famous for. What you're famous for. Shut the mouths of lions. Bring dry bones to life. And do what you're famous for, what you're famous for. There's no fear because I believe. There's no doubt because I have seen your faithfulness, my fortress over and over. I have a hope found in your name. I have a strength found in your grace. Your faithfulness, my fortress over and over. So um, can we say with this song today that no matter what might come in our lives... And we don't know how the tide is changing. If the culture says to do something different, will God win out in our life? Or are we going to succumb to the pressure, the peer pressure of culture? And uh, we see Peter, the apostle Peter, speaking for all the apostles by saying, we will obey God rather than men. And we have true life an eternal life in the Lord Jesus, and that we're willing to be martyrs. And what happened? 11 out of the 12 disciples were martyred. They were not just speakers of the word, but they were living it out. And we see that they died in different, different ways. Peter was um, crucified upside down, and they canceled the culture while they were living but in their death as well, they canceled the culture because the world did not know that they were living for God and God ultimately won. May God bless you all with these words.